Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Let's go to 1 John 4, verse 18. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Let, this, let these words resonate. Let these words just permeate our, our soul this morning, our minds. Let's just be renewed. I love that time of worship that we had this morning, just uh, surrendering to, the, to the, the, the plan of God, the righteousness of God. 1 John 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know, there's a lot of, how many of you have read, ever read articles about fear? There's three types of fear. There's five types of fear. There's ten types of fear. The greatest fear is spiders. No, it's not the greatest fear. Sarah is not afraid of crawling things. Uh, the greatest fear is not speaking in front of people, although that is scary. I remember the first time I ever spoke uh, to a crowd of people, it was during a school play, and I had this part, a Christmas play, and I had to read a part. I had to memorize this whole paragraph, and it wasn't really a lot, but I had to memorize it, and I had to speak it. And I got up there, and I, I got up there. I had none it really well. I was so prepared. I got up there to speak, and I had no breath in my lungs. Do you ever have that? Like, you get up, and you're just like, can't even breathe. <laughs> it's like no breath in my lungs. I mean, I remember watching Austin one time doing a play here. Man, he was just, he did the cat in hat, right? And I was like, is that Austin Lyons up there? I mean, he was all over the place. He was just like, it was so great. But I got up, and had the fear of speaking, but it really wasn't the fear of speaking. It's more than that. Uh, fear is not fear is not the fear of failure. Even it's the yeah. fear of what? It's the fear of rejection. But it's more than rejection. Yeah. It's more than being in a place of not being safe. It's much more. It ha- it is actually what the Bible says. First John four eighteen. It's the fear of punitive action. It's the fear of punishment. It's the fear of consequence. It's the fear of the other shoe falling, or it's the other, it's the other thing, or the thing that is in the dark that I don't know that is there in the future. Maybe it's the unknown. Maybe it's I am not able to trust myself, or I don't know. Or actually, there's even a fear of success. Did you know that? There's a fear of success. And I didn't know that until I met my wife. And she told me, you, you are afraid of success. And I was like, no, I'm not. And she says, yes, you are. Fear of success means this, that I'm going to succeed, but I'm not going to be able to maintain it. I'm not going to be able to maintain it. Life is going great, but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And there's this fear, there's this angst, and really it has much, it has much more to do with the fear of punitive action or consequence, that, that the skeletons are going to get discovered in the closet. Well, guess what? We're going to talk about what Jesus did with all those skeletons, amen, in your closet. They're not even there, so let's not worry about the skeletons. And there's just three things I want to just say about fear. Number one, fear's relationship with shame. This is going to be a very edifying message, so let's not get discouraged with the first few points. The fear, is, the fear of failure is really the fear of shame. The fear of shame. And what is shame? Shame, well, let's go, look, guilt is more about what we do. Shame is more about what we are. 
It's who I am. Guilt is like, okay, I did this wrong, and so therefore I'm afraid of consequence. They say that in Asia, the Asian mindset is more of a mindset of shame. The American mindset or the mindset of the West is more about guilt, about what has been done. And I think it might be because of our religious system that we have here, Protestant as well as other. And so guilt, shame is more about something is wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And that's shame. And that's what people are dealing with all the time. It's something that the world, the devil, and the flesh are projecting at you 24-7. Shame. Because shame puts us in a place where we can be controlled, manipulated, and guided and we actually believe we deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Somebody, people go to church sometimes and they think, okay, preacher, please yell at me. Please, like, beat me up because, man, I just feel like I need that. I deserve this. Yeah. And then when I get beaten up in church and I'm, like, yelled at and I'm just brought up to the front of the altar or whatever and I'm just, like, embarrassed, then I feel like I've been released and I feel like the punishment has happened and I'm good now. It's weird. It's a weird, strange religious addiction that has nothing to do about knowing Jesus Christ. And so Adam and Eve, they're, they're in the garden. They're hiding in the very place that God has given them to reign over. Is that crazy or what? That's really crazy, isn't it? Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes, clothed with leaves that are going to die in a matter of hours, they're going to have to replace it. And they're hiding in the place that God has called them to reign over. You shall reign over all of the... You'll reign over the earth. You'll name the animals and you'll tend to the garden. And there's this incredible ability. And now they are hiding in the, gar- in the very place that God has called them to reign. Why? Because they're looking for covering. When people are in a place of shame, they look for covering. And when they look for covering and they cannot find it, then they cover themselves. And that's a whole other topic. This is Advent season's coming up. Um, I just we want to just take a series of messages and look at Jesus Christ and about and just anticipate and just rejoice in His coming and rejoice in the miracle birth of Jesus Christ. Shame. Jesus came to deal with our shame. Uh, when we live in shame, or when people live in shame, we just look for covering. We look for excuses or blame, or we look for whatever. We look. Or we try to do something else. We try to, we try to manipulate our lives so that we don't feel the shame. You know, before, before the fall in Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-five, and Genesis three ten, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. And then in chapter three, verse ten, it says, "I was, I fled. I was afraid because I was naked." What was the problem in the garden? The problem in the garden was not the sin aspect. The problem was the shame aspect. Shame was the lasting effect of sin. And so that's what, that's what God here wants to deal with. And so fear really has a relationship with shame. We just don't want to be shamed again. We don't want to be in a place where I'm shamed, where I'm embarrassed, where I'm standing in the rain and I'm standing outside and I'm not, you know, I'm not part of, part of what is happening. Shame. And people live, we can live so easily in shame. And so how, do, how does human nature deal with shame? Shame, human nature is to not let go of the control and to let God love us. Human nature is, I've got to handle this. I've got to control this situation. And so when, we, when someone lives in fear, when someone lives in fear, 
They want to control the situation. And that's natural. And this happens all the time. This happens to people every day. It happens to us every day. And we don't even know it sometimes. And God is trying to tell us, look, don't try to control the situation because I have so, so much more of an amazing, radical, awesome plan for you that if you try to put your hand in it, it's just going to be, it's going to be so much less of what, of what I want to do. I don't know, remember who told me this um, this past week. They said, oh, yeah, I remember. They said, um, they said, you know, I really used to fear pursuing God's calling in my life because I thought I would, be, I would mess up the plan of God. I thought I would mess it up in some way. And I said, you can't. There's no way you can mess up the plan of God because God has got it under control. And so when we try to live in, you know, there's, there's different types of control. There's satanic control. Satan fell. He's trying to control the world. Whatever's left in the world, he's trying to control that. And as we see as the timeline of human history goes, goes on, we read in the Bible that Satan is falling lower and lower and lower, losing less and less and less. And then when we see Jesus Christ appear on the earth, die on the cross, rise from the dead, death and the death of sting, the sting of death is removed from the devil. So the devil has no more legal tools against you and I except for projections. You know, the devil will send an atmospheric, invisible thought pattern to somebody to, and, and, and try to convince a person that that is their thought. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever have a thought and you're like, oh, I can't believe I just thought that? Well, let's look at where it comes from. The devil sends a projection through the air because he's a father of lies. He's going to project a thought to you. You don't have enough money. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to lead this group. You don't have what it takes to run this business. You don't have what it takes to lead your family. You don't have what it takes, whatever, whatever it you don't have what it takes to raise that child. That's what the devil says, and that's not what God says to you. That is, that is Satan trying to control a world that he has lost control of. And number two, also, I think control can take the form, and this is something that I think in the Moore family is really like an issue in the flesh of the Moore family, and I don't necessarily like to con- confess that stuff, but I just want to tell you that it can be the entrepreneurship and business, the smart, savvy, courageous, and, and what's the word? Oh, sober entrepreneurship. Like, get it done, right? Let's just get out there and get it done. Like, okay, we're going to make an impact in this world, and we're going to do it, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's part of any of your minds, your, your, your disposition of the flesh, but that is definitely something in the past. And number, and number three, the third thing, and this is interesting, when we discover that we are not really in control, no matter how hard we try, we go the other direction. We just say, you know what, the system's against me. Everybody's against me. This person hates me. My family hates me. My, my, fa- my wife or my husband hates me. My kids hate me. My dog hates me. Everything hates me. This world hates me. I go out and I get in my car and I can sense my car hates me. I'm just feeling this hatred from everything. It's the system, and I'm, I'm going to fight the system, and I'm going to stock up on guns and food and all that stuff in my house. I'm going to wait for that moment when this system comes after me, and this is just all fear. It's just all fear. And it's something that God, God is, it's not God's will for you and I to live in fear, is it? Is it God's will for you to live in fear? What are we going to do tomorrow? I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. What are we going to do next week? I have no idea what we're going to do. Oh, my God, we're on our own. What's going to happen? And, and then we fear the consequence of that. The consequences are going to be standing out. I'm going to look so foolish to my family. 
who knows that I'm following God and, and Jesus and, and all of these things, and, and I'm just going to look so foolish, I'm going to be so embarrassed. And there's that fear of shame. And so control is really the pride of the flesh. It really is the epitome of the pride of the flesh. You know something, when we try to cover ourselves with something like the Leviathan, remember in the book of Job it says that Leviathan's, the Leviathan's scales are his pride. Yeah. You know, his pride. is, And there's actually a pride in like, you know something, hey, I made a decision for God, I beat that temptation, and kudos to me. <laughs> it's like, you know, wow. We have to ask ourselves a question, who did that? Was that the energy of my flesh? And actually, too, I think that sometimes when we don't know what to do, deal, do with the shame, we try to go into society and we look for a social covering. Try to get out there and try to get, get that. And when we cover all of this, and this is a major point I want to make, and then I want to go into, our, I want to go into, the, um, into the resolution. When we live in covering ourselves and we do not like we sang this morning, just surrender control and say, God, I am voluntarily not going to control this situation because I want God to be God here. Because God, you have something greater, as Marcia said, because the base of your plan is, is grace in the sovereignty of God's will. And I'm going to release control. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be discerning. I'm going to live in the guidance of the word of God, but I'm, at the same time, I'm not going to try to control this with fleshly carnal weapons. And when we do that, when we refuse to do that, guess what happens? We are covering the very person that needs to be loved and that needs to be cared for and that needs to be healed. When we live in coverings, I grew up in a family that had OCD, um, maybe undiagnosed OCD in my family. And OCD is just another... It's just another product of the world of guilt, shame, and fear, and technology, and control that we live in. Yes. We just discover that we are not in control. And when a person living in that, when I'm growing up in that kind of environment, and then we lose control, we discover we don't have control, shame comes in, which is unbelievable. It's just crazy. Like, oh my gosh, I, was, I didn't have what it takes to do it. Shame comes in. And we want to cover ourselves. We want to blame people. Or we want to live in a separate reality and become bipolar. That's a whole other discovery. That's a whole other discussion. But here's what happens: is that when we say, "I'm not going to live in the fig leaves of religion, control, flesh, or or reaction to the system, and just blame everybody and blame the government and blame um, people that don't like me," when we do that, we're covering the very person that needs to be healed by the love and the grace of God. And so, what is God saying here? God, here's the turning point. God is calling us to turn away from trying to create a predictable life, something that we can predict and control so that we can protect ourselves from the sense of shame. And God is calling us into radical reliance on Jesus Christ, radical um, occupation with the personhood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That God is calling us. You know, as I was thinking about, you know how Jesus called Peter out into the water? And I love that conversation. That, for me, is such a moment, monumental illustration. All the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is walking in the water. Who, gets, who looks at Jesus? All the disciples looking at Jesus and say, that's impossible. That's great, but that's impossible. And they're thinking, I could never do that. What's Peter say? Peter says, what does he say? He says, call me and I will come, right? Yeah. He does not presume that he's supposed to walk out into the water. 
When you see somebody doing something incredible, don't presume that that's what you're supposed to do. Hear from God in your life. And then when, 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 when Peter says that, if, if call me out, and what does Jesus do? Peter, you're not qualified. You sinned yesterday. You had this issue. You're not doing good. You're, you're not up to date with your uh, boat payments for your fishing boat. You know, all of these things that Peter could have gone through. Peter, Jesus says, Peter, come. Peter steps out on the boat, walks out onto the boat, walks out onto the water, and Jesus is out there. Here's an important point about faith. Faith is not calling us out into a place where God isn't. Yeah. It's calling us into a place where God is. Yeah. And I just want us to remember that because, you know, Marcia said, I'm living here and my, I don't have a family. And then his, her kids were like, we, we're your family. <laughs> but you know something? Sometimes we can really feel like, hey, I don't have family here. I don't, you know, I don't belong here. I, I don't know if this is my home or this is my people or this is my whatever. Can I tell you that God brought you here? The guy who was who's my Uber driver this morning said to me he he lived in Boston. I could tell because he said this Boston accent, and he went to Union Park where he was where he he was a chef. And so we were talking there, and and uh, and he said, "But I'm home now, and I have a church. I'm going to a great church in the woodlands. Home is where Jesus Christ is. Home is where." The personhood of Christ is. This is where the body of Christ is. This is home. This is home. And we can say, I'm home for the holidays. That is security. That's a covering. And when we understand that, then we don't need to live in shame. And you know something? When, we co- when we're feeling shameful, the reaction that we want to do is to withdraw. And that's another way of covering ourselves. Draw. When, I, when we say, don't withdraw from the body. When you're having troubles in your life, don't withdraw from the body. Draw near to, you're already in the body of Christ. But like, enter into fellowship. And understand this, is that God is calling us to, out, of our, out of our zones that we can control into a place where, where it's not about embarrassment and, and, and faking it till we make it. That's not faith. It just means that God puts us in a place, Jesus is there, and we are covered, and we're walking on the water, and everybody is looking at us, even though Peter sinks. Guess what Peter gets to talk about? Peter gets to talk about, I walked on the water, and you guys didn't, even though I sunk. But I walked on the water, and you guys didn't, even though I sunk. And here's the last thing I want to say, is that what we really have, what we really possess, can never be taken from us. Our real assets can never be lost. I think that... When you're qualifying for a loan or a business loan or for a house, they're asking you, what are your assets, right? What's your 401k, you know? What is this? What is that? What, is, what are all these things? And the world looks at your assets about what you are possessing. The believer's assets is not in what I possess. Our assets are not in what I am as far as my title or what I've produced, or what I can maintain. Our assets are something much different. Our assets are in Christ that are invisible and that cannot be seen or touched necessarily by, by hand. And so to understand how to deal with fear, when we have that, nar- when, we ha- when we wake up in the morning and we get slammed in the face with details that are just scary details, or we do not know what's going to happen, we do not know how this is going to work, <laughs> and that knot begins to form in your stomach, remember this very simple thing, that what we lose, what we lose, let's just say it this way, 
Our real assets can never be taken from us. Therefore, we never will live in shame. If you and I understood that if we lost it all, I'm not saying you're going to lose it all, but if it ever happened, this is what fear says, you're going to lose it all and you're going to look like a dumbbell. But if we did lose it all, guess what happens? We are who we are in Christ. We are loved by the Father. We are in Christ. Amen. We are, we are in love. We are forgiven. We are in truth. I heard this statement last night, and it was from an unsaved secular source, and I thought it was an amazing statement. They said, when someone is in the truth or has the truth, the whole world can be wrong, but they are right because they have the truth. Isn't that awesome? Like, if we have the truth in Jesus Christ and the finished work, new creation of who we are in Christ, and that we have fellowship with God, and that we've been accepted and loved and beloved, and we are cherished, and we are shown off to the angels as trophies of grace. Remember that with Job. Satan takes Job and puts, it stuffs him in Satan's face. And look at my servant Job and mocks the devil with Job. Isn't that amazing? And this, is whatever, and this happens all that We're like trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to eat? Oatmeal or scrambled eggs today? And then, you know, there's this major display of the grace of God in your life. And, and the devil's getting beaten down in an experiential way because of grace in your life. And because of the, because of the personhood of God. And this is happening every moment by moment. And when we understand that our identity is in Jesus, that we're a new creation, that his love for us, Jeremiah 31, 3, get this, is from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't that great? Everlasting. It just means it's never ending. It's never ending. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Love equals unity, by the way. Unity and love are the same word. They're a partnered word. They're married. Our salvation in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 can never be taken from us. No man shall pluck you from my, my hand. Let's get our identity straight. When, when fear comes, we want to pray, Oh God, I pray for this and I pray for that situation. And I pray for, for, for this. And, and we're praying for circumstances because we're, we are just living in fear because our identity has been damaged it's being threatened, and we're living in some kind of a lie that of what we are not. Am I making sense here this morning? Yes, sir. When you feel afraid, look at who you are in Christ. And better yet, don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we look at Jesus Christ, we get renewed in who we are in Christ. We get renewed. The book of Colossians says that we are renewed after the knowledge of the image of him. We look at him, and we're renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we don't live in fear. There's a lot of things that we can live in fear. Guess what? Somebody may have a lot of money in the bank. They may have a great house that's paid off. Might have a great car, great family. But it could all happen. One day it could all change. Yes, it can. So our trust is not in the things of this world. Because we know who we are. We know who we are. We know who we are. Who we are in Christ. And when that fear comes, this, and I'm saying this because I do this, it's easy for me to go and get, break out the prayer list. Like, okay, God, one, two, three, and then, God, okay, you got one through six, but we just need seven, eight, and nine to happen now. Okay, Lord, just seven, eight, and nine in Jesus' name. Yeah. And then you'll be God, and then you'll be, you know, it's like, God is God if seven and eight and nine are not checked off, and if the prayer list is not, is not. I'm just rejoicing this because when fear comes, it's not like, okay, I got to muster up everything that's inside of me and roll up my sleeves and just go at the devil. That's not going to work. What we do is we just begin to look at who we are and look at Jesus Christ as a new creation. And this is what Christmas is. I love Christmas. Christmas songs are already happening. There's no snow on the ground. It's 75 degrees, I think. <laughs> this is not, I don't feel like this is Christmas yet. 
but, the, but let's talk about it, you know. Um, that's what the message of Jesus Christ is. He came in vulnerability, right? He came as a little baby. And if you've had a baby, you know what I'm talking about. You're, it, he is vulnerable. He is helpless. He does not even know how to communicate his needs. He just cries, and you have to decipher what that means. It could be one of five things. The diapers are okay. He fed, we, we fed him a couple minutes ago. Okay, and we're just, you know, we're check, checking, off those, checking off those things. Jesus came like that. Jesus came like that. And Jesus was not, Jesus didn't come out of Mary's womb speaking perfect Hebrew. He cried, and he was, he was there were times physically he was uncomfortable. And there were moments where I'm sure he was cold, and he was hungry. And there were times where he had no place to sleep. And he was heartbroken because we don't know what happened to Joseph. Jesus, God came into a world that he can, I'm going to finish with this. God could have lived in fear about your failures, and he didn't. You know what's amazing is that God is not, like when we love someone and they fail, we're just freaked out, aren't we? We're like, oh my gosh. But you know something? God is not, when God put the tree in the garden, think of this. When God put the tree in the garden, was there a risk there? Was there a massive risk? Hey, all the trees you can enjoy, just don't eat that one. But all the trees, just that, not, not, not that one. And then what are these guys thinking? They're thinking, what is that? And the devil comes with his Gnostic teaching and he says, There's, God is hiding something from you. And, they, and, then, God, but is, and then when they, they fail, does God come marching into the garden, swinging his hammer and, and beating down his creation? No. He is relaxed, he is confident, and he is, he is in love with his creation because he, who is he trusting? Jesus Christ himself. He, is, he could swear by no greater but than by himself. And so, he's, and so today, when we fail or if we are in unbelief or if there's a moment we struggle with something and we're like, okay, I'm, God, I, I'm, just so, I'm so ashamed of myself. At that moment, we need to remember the inseparable love of Christ the effective blood of Christ that can continually cleanses us. Continually, continually, continually. It's a constant flow. It's a river that never, that never ends. He continually washes us. He continually loves us. And let's get our identity right. Let's get it, let's get it right. And let's begin to live and get educated <clears throat> in about who we are in Christ. Because when we do that, when we are established in who we are in Christ, and it's going to be an eternity, by the way. Then our mountains look like molehills. We just march right over and we're like, oh, man, I don't know why I was so worried about that. That's just such a little issue. And it's not big. I don't know. But when you get tired or when you get a, a negative text message or you get a bad email or something like that, things become very big and very scary for you. But when you get alone with God, as we heard earlier, and begin to just feast and begin to bathe in his presence and his love and his word of grace, and we need those times at that moment, our life, we take on the, per, the correct perspective that life is not so scary. Look where you are today. You've got people around you that love you, that encourage you, and that are praying for you. People are praying for you. We are praying for you. You're not on your own. Let's not live in shame. Let's not live in false covers. Let's just step out of the boat because Jesus is calling and say, okay, let's just trust God. Not fake it till we make it, but live in who we are. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the victory that we have in Jesus. We thank you, God, for the peace that passes understanding, Lord. We thank you that risk is something that we don't need to be afraid of because the Bible does not talk about risk. It talks about faithfulness of God. And so, Lord, we are here today.
in your presence, by faith here, gathering together. We know that what he has begun in us, he will be faithful to complete. Lord, we're not using our past experience as a precursor or a frame of reference about for our future. Because sometimes we could look at our past and say, oh God, I just cannot go through that shame again. I cannot go through that again. And if we feel that way, God, we just want to look to you and know that you have established us, you have settled us, you have you've put our feet upon a rock. And when we feel like we are overwhelmed in Psalm, the book of Psalms, I believe it's 63, David said, lead me to the rock. Just remind me of the rock that I'm set on. We love you and we praise you, God. We pray for a special spirit of encouragement for each one of us here today. We thank you, God, for the, the beautiful future that we have because we know who we are. 